Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. Gitto, I'm afraid, is unavailable this week, so you're going to have to put up with me. I'm joined, as ever, by Steve Carroll. Uh, evening, Steve. Evening. Well, it's just as well, really, I suppose, that uh, if everyone has to put up with me, that it's going to be a very positive podcast for a change for myself, because I think the way things have gone, we've got a bumper one to go over, Steve. It's been a few weeks, isn't it? We've got five games to preview, uh, five games to review, two games to preview before we're going to come in with another podcast in the lead up to the Cardiff game. So, um, as a, an outset, before we dive straight in, um, what a remarkable turnaround it's been over the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy, isn't it? Uh, nobody really would have expected a run of uh, four wins in a row. So I know a lot of the sides that we faced have been been decent sides, really. It's not been a you know you'd probably say that the fixtures that we had at the beginning of the season on paper looked kinder than the ones that we we just had. And obviously, we didn't get many good results in there, so. Yeah, sort of sums up the Swans and, and sums up the Championship, really, doesn't it? But um, hugely encouraging, and um, you know, I think uh, everyone's going to enjoy the next hour or so as we we look back at the last few games, and you know, hopefully to to more encouraging things uh, again in the next few. Yeah, definitely picking up on that little note you said there about it's typical of the Swans. I think in a lot of instances we've seen this in years gone by, it would be something like where you'd. You'd go and uh, lose to the bottom of the league and then beat the top of the league and you just think, well, I don't understand. Whereas I think there are very key moments and key decisions made by Russell Martin, as we'll discuss, that uh, certainly point towards uh, having a significant impact on the side's form um, and the confidence around the team at the moment, which is uh, which is shining through. I mean, the, the fact that we've... Uh, you know, we've stopped the conceding the last minute goal issue and we've actually looked more likely to score it on and have done is uh, is a complete 180. Um, but we've got plenty of time to get into that as we go through the game. So we'll start with the oldest one, Steve, and work our way up to the current day, um, which takes us all the way back to the last time we did concede a very late goal, which was um, a very harsh result, really, in the uh, mid-September, which was Sheffield United at home. Um, go back to then, and uh, a game we were very much in, probably could have made a valid argument to say we should have won that with the chances we created, following on from the great result, which we did review last time, or rather you and Ghetto reviewed, which was the QPR, QPR win. Um, then uh, following the enforced break because of the uh, the death of the Queen uh, we came back to the Swansea.com stadium and we were hoping to to follow it up with another good result and it looked like it could and would have come and uh, a last minute howler gifted um, Sheffield United the points and it felt harsh at the time and it still feels harsh today Yeah, that was a, a particularly frustrating evening really, wasn't it? As you say, we we played quite well Um Perot had one of those nights, didn't he, where numerous chances, good chances, and they weren't taken. And we got done at the end, really, then, didn't we? I mean, it's sort of our own doing. Um, you know, the, I think the Perot chance where he opened himself up in particular in the second half, that was a great one. Then there was the mistake from the goalkeeper and him and Ollie Cooper tried to combine, didn't they? And it, it didn't quite come off. And, yeah, I mean... We should have at least had a draw out of that, shouldn't we? Uh, to lose did feel like a proper kick in the guts. And probably a typical thing that happens for a team that's maybe at the top of the league where you know they, they ride their luck a bit and then when they get a chance, they 
they tend to take it. But, um, you know, I think when you look at that, Kyle Norton didn't really cover himself in glory. I remember at the time, me and you both been fuming, thinking it was a foul. Yeah. But then when we saw the replay, it was obvious that Norton was just trying to be a bit too clever, but it didn't work. And Brewster pinched the ball off him and inevitably it, it was a two-on-one and it, it led to a goal, didn't it? So I think it was naivety really from an experienced player. I think that was what the frustrating thing was. You know, there, there was really no need to do that. I mean, it could have just, you know, gone in the stand if it had to or, you know, just tried to be played elsewhere. But frustrating, um, you know, just another one of those and that, that, that adds to the list of, uh, you know, points dropped, laid points off. Points left and, on the uh, table. We've got to be on about eight, haven't we? It's going to be somewhere on about eight points now we've left on the table this season, which aren't just like, it's oh, five, if, only, I think. if only. They were definite points we've left away. I think it's five in injury time, isn't it? Is that... Five just in injury time alone? Yeah, so there's the Stoke one, isn't there? Of Millwall. Injury time, and yeah, the obvious one being Millwall, because, you know, obviously that one was even more ridiculous because we were two goals up. But um, yeah, well, if you put those five points there... We've top, haven't we? Which is you look at you look at Oberfemi missing from half a yard at Rotherham on the opening day. Um, Yeah, you know know, there has been there's been points there that we could have. But as when we go on to talk about West Brom in particular, I would say maybe that's one where it could have gone the other way and it didn't. Absolutely, it does. You know, you've got to. I think the the one we'll always come back to is Millwall, isn't it? Because you're two 0 up in injury time. You really, really have to see that out. I think we discussed that before, didn't we? I think, you know, you, you're always going to concede the odd goal in injury time in the same way that, you know, you can score them and it can it can happen from time to time. You can't always stop things from happening. But, um, you know, I think when you're two up is the one you should really see out. And, you know, if, I think if we had, we probably wouldn't be looking at the other games as much. You'd probably go, well, we dropped three points at the end, which is frustrating. But I think when it's, you know, and obviously we go back to last season where there was a couple at the end as well. It adds up really, doesn't it? But um, yeah, five points in injury time is uh, is a lot, really, isn't it? And that it's one was incredible this early on in the season. That would be something that you'd look at, at the end of the season and perhaps expect that we're on five, six points dropped in injury time and go, oh, you know, if only we got those. But to get it this early on, I think everyone um, sees that from within and without the club. And also, I think there's been a steady movement, um, not to say to step away from the process per se or the, the Russell Martin plan, but to certainly um, evolve that, Steve, and something we've talked about at length before, which is that things weren't working and it wasn't enough to keep doing the same thing and expect it to work. It's the definition of insanity, isn't it? But you you, you could see it wasn't going to work because it was heaping too much pressure. Millwall being the the prime example you brought up there, where clearly 90th minute, 2 0 up, um, they score from an own goal. We immediately fall to pieces. We're nervous. We're scared. We kick the ball away from kickoff with 30 seconds left on the clock, which is inexplicable. But the team was panicking. And I think game, uh, game management and even gamesmanship, you know, trying to be coy, trying to win free kicks, fouls, take it to the corner flag, all these things where you just try and break up the play, foul a player on the halfway line when he's getting past you. And we'll talk about the Watford game in a little bit. But all these little things, um, they've they crept into our game, and we can even bring in set pieces in a short while as well. These little things which are building blocks for the future, which for 
15 months 14 15 months they they didn't they they weren't there it was we used to get good results and bad results last season but it was always playing this very um high intensity game out from the back wasn't it and it was very uh um dependent on these players you know making those crisp passes making those um making it stick making it work whereas now there's a little bit more uh, what should we call it streetwise the, the the play that we're bringing in um and following on from the personnel change uh, at the QPR game where we saw the goalkeeper swapped out for Stephen Bender which um I think we immediately saw in that game that was a confidence booster for the back line the Bender is just naturally a bigger frame he's a bigger goalkeeper he's probably more daunting to try and beat from close distance being like 6 foot 5 6 foot 6 he's going to claim crosses he's bet he's better at saving shots in my opinion all round the the tick box so we built and we saw the mistake against Sheffield United so the next thing i guess after the Sheffield United result steve was to see if we could cut out then the the little mistakes the the crucial mistakes which were costing us points so it gone from let's change a couple of personnel to then let's try and change our approach um, and then we played against Hull at home. Hull, who were probably as bad as we were good, really. Uh, they were they were terrible. But nonetheless, a 3-0 win. We hit the crossbar three times as well. Conceivably could have been six. It really was one of those games where it was utter domination against an abject team and exactly, exactly the sort of game and result that we needed to get that Sheffield United defeat out of the system. Yeah, I think it was really. Um, you know, again, we should really have been in front earlier and probably we could have been out of sight at half time. I mean, Perot again had chances and, and didn't take them. I mean, you know, it's, it's suppose it's one of the encouraging things at the moment is we're on such a good run, but our chief goal threat isn't really firing on all cylinders. So if he starts to to do that, then we really could be in business. But um, yeah, there were there were a couple of chances missed and it did look for a while like it could even be one of those days, didn't it? Because you know the goals did take a while to come, but you know once they did, they, they came in quick succession. I do do wonder as well if in that game we were a bit unlucky with Joe Allen going off injured, but I mean I think most people would agree playing Jay Fulton, you know, in, in a more advanced role is is certainly not something that I I want to see happen, especially when there's other options on the pitch. And obviously Luke Cundell ended up coming on, and as a result Fulton dropped a bit deeper. And I felt in some ways like that we got a bit lucky in it. It helped us. Obviously, we hope Joe is back soon enough, and and once he is, he'll, you know, he'll be massively in contention to to regain his place. But I think the, not so much him going off is more that Fulton never was moved deeper, and we had a more attacking player on the pitch. And obviously, Kundal did really well for his goal, and he pinching the ball a bit of improvisation. And um, you know, as as I say, we, we ended up winning comfortably. It could really have been more, couldn't it? And um, yeah. you know, Manning scored again, who has arguably been our best player, I would say, so far this season. Yeah. So consistent offering a us a real threat and you know there isn't really a replacement for him either at the moment. I mean it's understandable he's playing every minute of every game more or less, which you know you can't argue with. He's he's doing a great job for us. So and obviously in the Emperor did did manage to get one then, didn't he, after a, a cock up. But I mean, as you say, we I think we were as good as Hull were bad. I mean, it wasn't a great shock that the manager didn't manage another game for Hull. I think the only shock was they waited until... Oh, they waited the end of the international break, didn't they? Yeah, they they waited until the international break had pretty much ended before firing him when they had a, 
you know, a 12 day period or so to. Didn't they have a game that evening as well? I think they did, yeah. They did it on the Friday, didn't they? And obviously it was the. It wasn't the previous Saturday, it was the one before that, wasn't it? Because obviously we'd had the international break. So, yeah, totally bizarre thinking. Uh, I don't think anyone could really work that one out why they waited. But, um, yeah, um, but, you know, let's be honest, with the greatest respect to Hull, I mean, they if uh, they end up going down, I don't think anyone on the earth is probably going to moan too much unless you, you live in uh, Yorkshire because it's a long way to go. It's not the most of enjoyable away games and... Uh, yeah, we've got more than enough miles to travel at the moment as it is. So if we could get rid of one or two of those clubs uh, that are a long less way glamorous to go. ones. Pardon? I mean, you don't mind doing it for the the Newcastles and whatnot and the Sunderlands if you like this season. But um, Hull is less glamorous, more, but it's still a lot of miles, isn't it? What you've got to remember is you can fly to Newcastle from Bristol, whereas you can't fly up to the Manchester or the Yorkshire area. So yeah, that's what sort of does you in, isn't it? But um. I do know, looking ahead, the I think the last three games of the season, I think we're away to Hull and then away to Norwich, and you're just thinking, oh, my God. Like, they are just horrific trips. And, and they, right at the end, you don't know what could be on them as well, so it's going to be a ball ache for anyone who needs to, to go and support the team to get us over whatever line we hope we're you know, hoping to cross. Yeah. Or if we're in mid-table, nearly everyone's just going to go, right, there's absolutely no chance I'm going there. No. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll see how that pans out. There's a lot of football to be played before then. Um, and then came into what we looked at, and I think well, without doing a pod to confirm as such, I think we all looked at it, Swans fans around the globe. This is a tricky month. we got two away games on the bounce against um, one of the best uh, squads in the division. Um, uh, well, arguably two of the best squads in the division and a newcomer to the league who've started really well at home. They tra- always travel in big numbers. They're uh, on form. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, we uh, we probably take three, three, four points out of these three games. Um, so to come away with nine is incredible. And I think the manner in which the wins were achieved, Steve, were probably as impressive, if not more impressive, than the results themselves. Because each game not only required... Um, a bit of finesse, a bit of uh, quality, but it also required the grit, the determination, the heart, the fight, the desire, all those um, sorts of characteristics which we'd lacked earlier in the season when we were conceding last-minute goals, panicking at the back, scoring the young goals, losing the man, etc. It almost flipped 180, didn't it? And we start at the West Brom game where we've gone from... 1-0 1-0 up to 2-1 down. And all too often we've seen when Swansea go behind, they find it so difficult to get back into the game. Whereas when they're in the lead, they face the Alamo. They'd have to defend for their lives. But often we struggle to impose ourselves in the same way in the opposition when it's the other way around. So to see the Swans, um, we'll, go, we'll go through this game, of course, but to see the Swans from the outset here turn what looked like a defeat into a victory just from that sentence alone, Steve, is mighty impressive away from home. It's mighty impressive at home, but to do it at the Hawthorns as well, um, it just was a, a, a glittering result for the club and, and a standout result at the time, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously West Brom have struggled this season, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, and obviously Steve Bruce has been sacked today, which isn't a great shock when you consider, obviously, they're on, still on parachute payments, so they've got quite a good budget there. You know they they really should be higher in the division, especially when you look at the individual quality that they've 
they've got there. So that we knew this was going to be a, a difficult game. And you've got to say that we didn't half start really well in the first 20 minutes, especially. I mean, we we got the goal from what was a, a goalkeeper mistake, really, but you know, a goal from a corner, which is which is always good. I mean, we even had a chance before that. I think it was from Perot when the, the keepers made a decent save. Um, but I just felt we, we moved the ball so well in the first 20 minutes, especially we, we kept the ball. We were creating chances. It was it was really encouraging, especially against you know a good side. I mean, there were one or two dodgy moments at the back where I think we, we misjudged some of the situations and you know that that could have proved costly. But I mean, we were we were looking good really then, weren't we? But um, <clears throat> yeah, it was. But it was a it was a mad game, really, wasn't it? When you think about it, I think. You know, I'm not saying that we we didn't play well or anything like that. We certainly did in patches, but they had their moments and for all. Well, I would say the hour or at least 50 minutes in the middle of the game was West Brom's. I don't yeah, think they I, dominated I, that no, game I think by any fair. stretch. I think the whole middle of the game, either side of half time, was then. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't really argue with that. And then we've gifted two poor goals, really, haven't we? And. I think I'm not the only person that thought at this point they're probably getting nothing. And yeah, that could be really frustrating because of how well we'd we played at, at the start and to then be behind and chasing was was frustrating. But when you look at it, the manager made two subs and they're probably the two best subs he's ever made, aren't they? <laughs> well, you look at the, the man um, who got the equaliser, Steve, and this is Mr. Marmite, isn't it? I mean, in terms of his performances, they go hot and cold, hot and cold. And you cannot work out which Olivier Cham is going to turn up. And he will go from not being in the 18 at all to coming into the team, playing a blinder and wondering how you ever lived without him. Fortunately, this was the latter. And this was Olivier Cham that came on to make a statement to Russell Martin. I want to be back in the team. And, uh, he dominated and he came in, he got the goal, he got the assist for the winner as well. And it really was the sort of um, performance from him, which you know you can get when he wants it, which is probably the most frustrating aspect to him, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is really frustrating because we saw in that cameo just what what he can do. I mean, he, he can run at players. He's, he's such a strong guy. He can can make things happen, can't he? I mean, I've, he's cut in and five a great shot with his wrong foot really and it you know it's gone in. Even the back flips are impressive and I'm thinking, where's that come from? I didn't know you could you could be asked to even do Had that. he not just come back from a round the world trip with Cameroon as well, you know? Yeah, I know. It's, um but that was great. And there was even an incident where he sort of ended up trying to slide tackle someone. I was thinking, Olivier and Chan, who, who, who's this guy? As a different person come back from his international duty. But look, he it was encouraging from him. But what frustrates you is why can't he do that all the time? Because if he could, he wouldn't be here. He should be insulted that he's on the bench because he's got such quality if he wants to show it. I mean, you could argue the, be- the best half an hour from an individual I've seen this season was the home game with Millwall. The guy was on a different level to everybody else. But why aren't we seeing it often enough? And that's what is so annoying about this player. It's not that he isn't good enough. He's more than good enough, but we don't see it often enough. And, you know, but when we do, it's great. And, he was a game changer for us there, wasn't he? And um, you know, we were back on on song at this point until uh, the referee decided to give a penalty for nothing, which could have cost us. Yeah, couldn't it? yeah. Um, you know, it looked soft the first time. Oko Flex um, got caught behind the player. It looked like it was one of those ones. 
that always seems to go against us but never go for us. And the replays confirmed it. You know, he's the guy's hurling himself to the floor without any contact and, and he's felt well, he's gone for the contact rather. He's gone to feel the contact and chucked himself down. He's bought it. Um and they those are the ones. They always seem to go get given when it's up in our penalty box, isn't it? So it does feel like we cursed in that regard. Um but for the second time this season, with two different goalkeepers and almost identical penalty saves, Steve. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's what a save it is. I mean, you know, he's obviously Ben has taken a gamble as, as most keepers will in that situation. Completely understandable. You've got to guess for a corner, really, and it's gone down the middle. And you know, it's not—it's really not an easy save with your legs. I mean, because you know there is a little bit of height in it. He's had to move his leg up to make sure he saves it, and it's a brilliant save. It's one of the best mm-hmm. penalty saves I've probably seen with that because. You know, that easily could have gone in. And if we're being honest about it, if that goes in, we're probably on the wrong end then, aren't we? I think it's very yeah. unlikely that we would win, especially. And we'd all take a draw, wouldn't we, at that point? So, you know, um, big save. Well, I really liked the full time was that quite a few of the players ran to him. As if, you know, they, they knew that he played more than played a big part in, in you know, the save. And But obviously the, the winner was a certain Oberfemi who probably uh, doesn't quite divide as much opinion now, but uh, that was a great move, wasn't it, from Manning and, and Cham and you know, a great turn and, and shot, and as you can imagine, it was quite bonkers in that away end when, uh, when that <laughs> went in, and, uh, you know, um, and a great away win uh, late on uh, against what is a, a tough opponent, and in uh, an away shirt that can only be described as hardcore porn, so um, unbelievable <laughs> from my point of view. Yeah, first outing for that as well, wasn't it? So I think the weird one with that is he just created a bit more negative press for himself. Um, over Fermi, away with Ireland the week where he um, cupped his ears, or I think, was he, did he cup his ears? Or I can't yeah, remember. he did. Uh, I can't remember the actual celebration, but yeah, after scoring another screamer for them. So um, it was obviously, given the, 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 the noise that was going on back here with his failed move to Burnley and his dropping out of the squad, um, for not being in the frame of mind and getting criticised by the fans. So, a lot of talk. Um, and after that, probably ill-advised celebration. Well, definitely ill-advised celebration. He needed to come back and he needed to show that uh, he was committed and, uh, and he was going to give us all. So, well, as a striker, the only way you can do that is start sticking the ball in the back of the net and to score a winner in the last minute. And it wasn't just the fact that we won the game. What I liked is after we'd saved the penalty, Steve, you could feel the momentum shift again in our favour. There was almost like that was the turning point, not the winning goal, but the fact that they'd missed the penalty, we'd saved it. That knocked the stuffing out of an already confidence-drained West Brom um, where they thought they had the goal, they had the win in the bag. They missed that, and you could feel us growing confidence, them shrink, and when it came around then, there was a growing feeling that this is there for us. If we can if we can just commit a little bit more and press them a little bit more, they're wobbling, and obviously to get it in the fashion that we did um, for Oberfermi, after all the noise and the way the goal was constructed, um, right in front of you there in your way end, it must have been... Um, it must have been quite something. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think if you look at the away games we've had this year as well, it's the first time where we've we've had one that's not been a crazy distance. Now, I know we had a lot of Blackpool, but I you know obviously most people like us knew that it's, it's got to be a weekend job. But 
we've been unlucky with that so far. I think Rotherham is a, a fair trek. I know we did take quite a few, to be fair, with the opening day. Then we've had Stoke on a midweek, not very appealing. And Birmingham being called off yeah, is absolutely typical of our luck. The, the Birmingham one getting called off was was disappointing, really, in that sense, because that was one where we would have had a good following as well. But, um, yeah, I think we've got to the start of October without having one that's, you know, reasonable up and back distance in the day. So, yeah, we had uh, we had, had a good crowd there. And, I mean, as you can imagine, you know what it's like with, with late goals. It's... Uh, there's always a, a crazy reaction in there. But, um, I mean, as you say, I think the, the the penalty really was the key point, wasn't it? Because it was, you know, West Brom then <coughs> probably looked like a side that hadn't won much and they're just thinking that needed to go in and then the heads drop. Probably the same for the fans as well. I mean, it's, you know, if you get a penalty late on and, and you're thinking that will put you in front and you're likely to win, if you miss it, it is just that kick in the guts, really, isn't it? So, yeah, um, but look, a, a great win for us. Really, um, not there's a one. good, um, there's a good, what do they call them? The video, the the vlog, oh, vlogger. Yeah, there's a good one out there from West Brom fan who followed him to the game. Uh, he's a West Brom fan. Speaks very highly of us, actually. Um, him and his dad, and I think it's his dad anyway. And I don't know if you've seen it, Steve. He's, I haven't actually. I've heard it mentioned though. Yeah, it's good. It's about, I don't know, it's about 10, 15 minutes long, but he follows his journey in the day. He talks to some swans fans beforehand and also captures all the key moments in the game. Um, obviously, quite disparaging to Steve Bruce, and but but very complimentary to the swans. And in fact, very complimentary to the swans' support as well. A couple of times he cut over um, to the away end and you could hear him and his dad talking and they both saying... I wish I wish that was us. The support has been outstanding all game and I wish we could have days like this. And I think that might have even been before the winner, you know? So it was just when it was one when it was two all, you know. So it was really kind of complimentary of the Swans and you know, you obviously you obviously is a bit a bit of a bit of a soft spot for us. But um yeah, it's it's good. If you haven't seen it and you are interested, I know a bit of time has passed since that game now, but it's it's a good watch. It's uh it's like I say, it's not too long, but um it's it's sometimes interesting to see how people view this club from outside as well. Um and not who are living and breathing every small detail. And when you're just looking at the results and looking at the performances from afar, sometimes they can have a completely different picture of how we are, what we're doing, and 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 what they think of the overall direction in which we're headed, um, which is quite interesting actually. The next game we come on to, Steve, is 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 Watford away, and this is the standout result of the season so far. I don't think I don't know if you can contest that, but I think this one is the one which will make people sit up and take notice, and will and really made us sit up and take notice, didn't it? Because this was the this was the the streetwise game. This was the game where we not only did what we needed to do, but we did the ugly things so well. It was it kind of filled your heart with a bit of warmth to make you realise that we had a little bit of shithousery about us. And that's something that we haven't really said under any of our um, more... You know when you've got those managers that like to play pretty football, when you talk about your Potters, your Rogers, your Martinez's, your Loudrups and stuff like that, sometimes we lack that little bit of shithousery. Whereas when you went back to like a Steve Cooper type, which was a little bit more industrious in the way he liked to play the game, he was shithouse 101, wasn't he? He knew exactly how to grind out results and how to make things happen for you in your favour, 
how to leave a trailing leg in the box or maybe surround the ref on a bad decision. We never had the balance of pretty football, but being able to grind out results when you needed to. And the Watford game, for me, was the perfect balance between the two. It was the time where we showed exactly what we needed to, but then when things got ugly, we were prepared to fight and scrap, commit the cheap fouls, and and just stop Watford in the tracks. Um, the game itself was uh, was a bit ebb and flow. It could have gone either way, but um, to get a result at Vicarage Road, Steve, massive. To get a win in bizarre circumstances uh, was 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 quite uh, the standout result for me. Well, I think it has to be really, doesn't it? Um, you know, <clears throat> I think going to West Brom and winning was definitely you know probably our, our best results at that point. But then I don't think anyone gave us much of a chance of going to Watford and winning. But you know, we again, we I thought we played well, especially in that first half. I know we were one down, but we we, we were the better side. The only problem I had really was that we hadn't maybe tested them enough. But yeah, we and we gave away a soft goal. Norton didn't look great, and I think it's just his his confidence that seems to be a bit low at the moment, a bit out of form. Mm-hmm. I can understand why the decision was made to take him out of the team on Saturday. He'll he'll inevitably come back in at some point. For, you know, everybody loses form or a bit of confidence. It's, you know, a, a little spell on the sidelines. Uh, I'm sure it won't do any harm there. But, um, yeah, we, we did play well, didn't we? And as I say, it was it was a bit of a crazy game, though, wasn't it? I mean, we made a couple of changes to the starting lineup, which is, is understandable, really, because we've got so many games coming up. But, um, you know, the, I think that it worked to a point, but I'm not sure that playing over Fermi and Perot together no. massively came off on the night, if I'm honest. But... You know, I can understand why the changes were made. As I said, this, literally, we're into a ridiculous schedule at, at the moment. And, you know, we, we do need to try and keep things a little bit fresh if, um, you know, if we can. But, um, you know, and, and Cham came in and he managed to get another goal, didn't he? Which was, which is encouraging. But, um, you know, I think you know, we'll all remember the game, won't we, for it being quite possibly the longest second half in the history of football. Yeah, I mean, the the, the idea... That what we 84, 85 minutes or whatever time it was at the clock at the time when the referee decided because he couldn't hear his linesman that um, that was enough for him to stop the game for seven, eight minutes while they discussed their, the, the possibility of how they're going to resume the game as if football never existed before, headpieces and whatnot. And there was a cracking chant, Steve, wasn't there, from the Watford fans that Sons fans got involved in as well, which was. Uh, they started chanting, you've got a flag and a whistle, which, which cracked me up because, I mean, the whole situation was a farce. Those players, I think both, or at least Watford had, made all their subs at this point. Um, they had tired legs out there. Swans also had the tired legs and we may have had the opportunity for another sub at this point. But um, to, to stop the game for that period of time and then restart for 17 additional minutes is absolutely bonkers. It's, it's just crazy. It it was almost like they needed to give them another 5-10 minutes just to warm up again. It was it's pretty 10 o'clock at night at this point. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not it's bonkers. It it should never have happened. It should never happen again. But it's one you remember because of everything that surrounded it and the fact that we've come from behind to score. Well, it really wasn't the last-minute winner. There was still 10 minutes to play, but to score in the 98th minute, again from a set-piece, Steve, 
it's um, encouraging signs, aren't they? And uh, Andy Parslow looks like he's come in and he's he's made an impact. It's taken a little while for it to translate onto the football pitch, but um, it it's things are starting to click. Yeah, I think like with most things, if you're going to start working on set piece routines, I mean you can you can never necessarily expect you know to it to come off in the first like few games. It's, it's like with everything when you if you change the manager, isn't it? You've got to give a little bit of time for it and. Um, but it does seem as if we have made an impact. And I know one thing you'll be delighted about is the fact that Matt Grimes doesn't seem to be on set pieces anywhere near as be, much. Doesn't it seem to be obvious? I mean, God, I, I got bored of my own voice last year saying, surely, I mean, we had Manning then, of course, but surely there is someone at this club who can take a free kick better than Matt Grimes. And the fact that we brought a set piece coach in and almost instantly Matt Grimes has gone off all set pieces, I mean... Even if I was like Matt Grimes' biggest fan in the world, I'd like to think I'd be objective enough to say he shouldn't be on set pieces. His record is terrible at them. Set piece court comes in and says the blindingly obvious, which is we're going to change the set piece takers. And look, a few weeks later, look at the results. And Manning's ball into Cabango, Steve, like so many of his balls into the box this season, was an absolute peach. Oh, it was, yeah. Um, I mean, I was talking him up earlier, wasn't I, Manning? And again, it was a um, the great cross. And to be fair, Cabango, we've seen it a few times now. He is a big threat at set pieces. And it was great to see him get on the end of it. I mean, it's, it would be nice if a few others could uh, could do the same. Although I know, of course, Darling's got a couple, isn't he, this season? Um, but yeah, he's, he's always been a big threat from them. And yeah, it was a great header, wasn't it? And um you know, we did a great job then to to see it out, didn't we, with the the shit we tactics that I'm sure you're uh, you're dying to talk about. Yeah, this is it, isn't it? I mean, you win in a game. Um, ideally, ideally, you keep the ball, you take it to the corner flag. I'm thinking when we beat Cardiff one nil at home and they just couldn't get the ball off us for the, like ten minutes towards the end. That's the ideal scenario where they can't get near you. In fact, it's them that's get getting yellow carded because they're getting frustrated and kicking you. That's 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 position A. That's the one you really want to be in. But obviously, the, the second scenario is that you can't control the ball. It's got a bit scrappy, and they're throwing, they're throwing the kitchen sink at you, in which case someone takes you on on the halfway line, wrestle him to the ground. If they've got five men running alongside them, charging at the goal, wrestle about the block on the, on the ball to the ground, take him out, clip his heels, stop it so we can rearrange, re- regroup. And so often, we've seen with the Swans, they've been too pretty. They haven't done the ugly game right. And that's what I liked about what... And I, from what I gather and what I've seen on social media, I think a lot of the Swans support. The fact that we get four yellow cards in the last four minutes um, isn't great from a disciplinary point of view, but it is the difference between winning that game and not winning it. Because Watford could build up no momentum, no flow, no rhythm. And... We, we just turned the game ugly. And barring a late scare, which turned out to be nothing, um, in the 119th minute, which was a handball call, um, it was it, it all was dealt with so well by the Swans that um, it proved the, the absolute correct approach because how many times have we seen those late goals go in against us when we've just allowed teams to charge at us, Steve? Yeah, I think, to be fair, we were a lot more streetwise, weren't we? I think... You know, you've, I think there's always a bit of a balance here, isn't there? As, as there always is. I mean, you've got to waste time. I think, you know, if you start doing that early in the game, 
it's going to backfire, isn't it? And, and and we know the score as well, don't we? Inevitably, if we start wasting time early, referees, for some reason, seem to book our players. Whereas I look at, for example, the Wales-Poland game, where I saw shithousery on a level like I've not seen in a long time. And they were allowed to get away with it. And they were doing it from early on. And you're just thinking, well, that, that's just obviously way too far. But I think in general, once the injury time board has gone up, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, it might have been a bit different the other day because obviously there was 17 minutes. But I think when you get into three and four minutes left, I mean, you just just need to be clever, don't you, sometimes? Just little things like if you can try and buy a cheap free kick or take it to the corner, you know, just and then if you get in a throw-in, just try and win another throw-in. All, all these, like, things... Get the ball boys to. You know, oh, don't. We talk about ball boys in a minute after we yeah. talk about the Sunderland game. Don't give the ball back quickly. Um, just, just those little things. Just disrupt the flow. And obviously, if the manager's got one or two subs he can make, that's also like there then to, you know, just be a general pain in the ass. And I think they're just the type of things that you you can do. And well, go uh, down. We were very good with cramp. Yeah, that's yeah. Again, you know, they're all gamesmanship, aren't they? Yeah, and if your keeper goes down with cramp, which is what Bender did against Sunderland, I mean, obviously, that was a genius, have, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to go off the Z, so it's an even better idea. It, look, we don't want to highlight the fact that there's some, the, the dark arts, whatever. Everyone does it, but we don't play our fair share. And I think refs will punish for some things. We always get punished more than most, it feels. I know every club will say this, every fan will say this of their club, but it always feels like we get punished more than most, but we don't attempt our fair share of dark arts. And I think one player who's, as you mentioned earlier, is probably the, the player of the season who does do it is, is Ryan Manning. And I see I saw a lot of Manningisms in the performance of the last 20 minutes of the Watford game where you just you saw the players um, go over to get the ball, um, you know, or, or maybe walk over slowly to the ball boy and wait for someone to pass the ball to them rather than go and collect it, slow the game down take the goal kick from the other side everything you could do where you would just disrupt the rhythm disrupt the flow um and i think that was the most pleasing thing was because we've spoken um you know in the pub and whatnot and, and, and on here previously about game management and about and that was before you know this horrible run of late goals conceded which just reinforced the point really but i think seeing now that this isn't a coincidence that there's obviously be words spoken in the training ground on, you know, how, how you can see games out, how you can't just, you can't always play and win with beautiful football. No one in the history of football, you know, Christ, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, even Real Madrid had Pepe and Sergio Ramos, do you know what I mean? Where you had people who were able, and, and Barcelona had Sergio Busquets, they, we've got people who are able to master the dark arts and, and, and able to just shit out. And, and some of the best teams in history have had that little bit of the um, the game management about them as well when things aren't quite clicking perfectly. It was it was good. I liked it anyway. I liked the fact that we were able to mix the, the, the nice football with being able to be a bit more streetwise Um and before we move on for the Watford game, I, I, to give a, the, the set-piece coach a little bit more credit as well, it wasn't just for me about the put a pinpoint ball into Cabango. Um, Cabango was able to run into a free space 12 yards out and get his head on the ball. That's not happened by chance because the other players have got jobs. 
and their jobs would be to block runners and block markers and stuff like that and cause a general nuisance to themselves. And you see in the replay of that goal, there's a little bit of hustle and bustle in the box and players who would have otherwise tried to challenge Cabango not being allowed to get near it. Do you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. It's the bigger picture, and it's about not just trying to get the ball on someone's head, but making sure everyone is contributing so that if that ball comes in and it's a sweet one, he's left unchallenged. I think... Yeah, some of these things, just, like, they seem quite minor, but they're big deals. I mean, I was watching Huge. Captain Up a match the day earlier, and they were highlighting that a Newcastle goal from the weekend where Bruno is like on the edge of the box and he doesn't really look interested, but then they play like a shorter corner. And then the cross goes in right to the, the back post. And by that point, he's made a run. That's right, but yeah. Dan Byrne blocking the Brentford player. And then Bruno's got a free header, hasn't he? And he, and he makes the most of it. So it can just be these these little things. There's only when you you know, you know slow it down and you look at it properly that you, you sort of notice all of them. But um, it's all yeah, done by off, design. These little things, aren't they? And they, they're not, they, they look little, but they, they actually make quite a big difference, don't they? Yeah, and that's it. And that's that's where it comes into like the whole the whole set piece coach rather than just saying, right, we're going to ping it in and the three big guys are going to go in the middle and try and head the ball in the net. Quite often you can have the biggest men in the, but you can cause a nuisance as a centre half and, and it can be difficult to get the right contact in the ball. It's a, it's the whole team that has to contribute into making sure that when that ball comes in, your target men can, um, can get a clean connection. So I just wanted to make that little, little point on that, that it was, there was a whole scene going on in the water penalty area there, which, uh, which pleased um, pleased me at least to to see that we were being um, again just being a little bit more savvy and um, well that was that was the result of the season so far and it was challenged then to say right we had two incredible results on the road um, the last game that we can re- review now is the Sunderland one high flying Sunderland just arrived in the league they've had a little bit of a Issue scoring goals maybe the last couple of games because the strikers are out injured, but nevertheless come with a lot of uh, attacking pedigree. They like um, they like going at teams. Of course, they've recently uh, appointed Tony Mowbray as manager. We know all too well Tony Mowbray. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit in the game, Steve, because his teams like to play good attacking football. I mean, I think um, if you just look at the Blackburn team, yes, they fell away at the end last season, but that Blackburn team were a very attacking, you know, bright team. You know, Brandon Diaz, you know, breaking his records and whatnot, being linked with 15, 20 million pound moves in the summer, you know, and stuff like that. You know, a lot of credit goes to him, but a lot of credit also goes to the the manager, which set his team up to be able to, to create and score as many chances as he did. He's at Sunderland now. Sunderland are doing well. They come down, they brought 2,000-something fans, I think, which considering the train strikes and whatnot is, is quite phenomenal, really, isn't it? They packed up the away end. I made a lot of noise, and it made for a good atmosphere, and um, and what promised to be a good game in the sunshine in the Swancom. Yeah, um, I think the northeast is a different breed, isn't it? I mean, they just absolutely love football up there, and you know the, the support really puts a lot of other teams to shame. I mean, nobody else has sold out down here this season, and you're thinking the the trips are not nowhere near as far as what um, what Sunderland is. So yeah, and I think it's it's just more enjoyable, isn't it, when you know, there is a bigger away following and the atmosphere is better. It sort of spurs us up a bit. And, you know, I think it doesn't help quite often when not many are brought down here. And the, the lunacy of the fact that the away fans have to be in the other half of the away end, they can't be close to us. But if it's full, they're allowed to be close to us. And it's just, 
again, that, that never contributes great to much of an atmosphere either, does it? But it just was a lot more enjoyable with that. And then obviously we've the first 20 minutes again, I thought arguably we were our, for our best 20 of the season. We just started really well. We were creating chances and, you know, deservedly uh, went in front. And I think Ollie Cooper probably deserved the goal, didn't he, for the way that he's played since he's he's come into the team. He's been a, a real breath of fresh air, hasn't he? He has. I think he's transformed. He was one of the ones I'd forgotten to mention earlier. Forgive me for that. When I was talking about um, uh, Russell Martin making changes way back when, um, early September time, he was one that came into the team as well, as Stephen Bender, and he injected that kind of fearlessness. Is that word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I definitely think that. I mean, as you get that from young players sometimes, and he just came in and just played without any sort of fear, didn't he? And was, you know, trying to make things happen, and it's it's made a big difference, isn't it? Yes, and I think that sometimes you need that. I think sometimes players can almost have too much experience. I know that sounds a bizarre comment to make, but sometimes they're overthinking it, and you need someone that's a little bit raw. A little bit just sees the ball, sees someone, sees the goal, and just you know goes a bit more direct to it. You can be a little bit overcoached sometimes uh, in football, and um, and we've seen that a little bit. And I think credit go to someone like um, Matt Grimes as well because he's he's my biggest criticism of him um, previously is. It, it, he does like to make sure that his pass is thick and he'll get high percentage pass rates all the time. But sometimes that means the pass will come a little bit slower than ideally. So it'll be, you know, he'll take a touch, he'll check what's around and then he'll play that ball. Even if it is, as stats will tell you, it might well be into the final third. But if he's played a second or two too late into the final third, then it's hard to create the goal scoring chances from those balls. And what you've seen with, Cooper coming in and, and certainly in the last three or four games is the ball is moving from back to front a lot quicker, not direct, not hoof ball or anything like that. But now you see our team moving through the transitions um, through the midfield, through the lines and stuff like that much quicker. And I think Grimes as well is doing it. And I think what game was it where he did a run through the midfield? I'm trying to think which game it was now. Well, it was Watford. The Watford game, where he, he ran through the midfield before and Cham scored. Right. Um, but it was Grimes who brought the ball through the whole midfield, run about 20 yards with it, and then it came to Cham, and obviously his shot was deflected in the back of the net, and Wyndham Evans lost his shit. <laughs> but, That's a new uh, on that one. Yeah, he's, he got very excited at that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but that was one thing I... I, I like to think like a big enough person to admit when I see someone who I'd previously criticized do something that I like, that I'll call him out for it in a good way. And that was something I liked about Grimes is that he was a lot um, more um, aggressive with the ball then, put it that way. He moved the ball with purpose. He ran with the ball. He ran direct at, um, at the Watford midfield, got beyond a man, pass it across, and then Cham did the rest. But I think sometimes we can be a little bit too coached into, let's make sure we retain possession in this instance, in this instance. And football is about, every team is going to be set up to make it hard for you to score. So football is about trying to find those small moments where you can, when you can punish teams. And I think in the last couple of weeks, we've seen small moments. Um, 
like you say, the 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 the, the second goal, if you like, um, that we scored on brink of half time against Sunderland was uh, a good example of us just just utilizing a small moment as well. And it was another set piece, Steve, which was us making sure that we had the right people in the right place that cause as much problem as we can for Sunderland and not allow them to recover and clear that ball. Yeah. Um, now, again, it was the goalkeeper would probably be a bit frustrated. I mean, it's, it's gone through him in quite a soft way, isn't it? But um, to be fair, Darlin scored a lot of goals, didn't he, for MK Dons last year. And I mean, I know yeah, there's one, he has got a bit of a screamer in his locker, but he does also appear to have, you know, the, the standard centre-half goals in him as well. So, I mean, that was encouraging. I think, if we're honest, at that point as well, we we hadn't been playing that that well. Um, so suddenly, yeah. we're probably the better team at that moment. So that, it was a big goal because it came against the run of play a little bit, really. So, you know, that and that was, you know, it, it set us up nicely then, didn't it, going into the second half? Yeah, and I think what we saw in the second half was less glamorous. Um, Sunderland scored early, didn't they? And I think that put us on the back foot a bit. Um, but again, the ability with a team that have got 40 minutes, 40 plus minutes to try and um, to force an equaliser, the ability to see it out with relative comfort, I think. I, can I remember too many? No, I think there were there was a few pressure moments in the... You know the few minutes after the goal for them. That's really true. Yeah, there was there was what the ten minute period wasn't it where they yeah, where they looked like they might get one. So, but I was a bit surprised with Sutton and they actually went a little bit more direct to try and put us under pressure. And it did once or twice. It did look like it may work. Yeah, but, um, yeah. They didn't. They probably didn't create the, the amount of chances that they they would have liked. But I think we're, we're probably playing them at quite a good time because obviously they are missing. Um, a couple of strikers, aren't they, at the moment? So yeah. You know, and if you look at the previous two games. They'd drawn two games nil-nil at home, I think. And, you know, if you're missing strikers, it's, you know, it's a pretty obvious thing then. If you look at them, they're not scoring. Then, you know, they they need them back as soon as possible. So, that for once, maybe we got a little bit lucky with the timing of, um, of playing them. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I did. There was definitely that maybe opening 15 minutes of the second half up until the hour mark, where I think that was their moment. If they were going to get a second goal... In the ten minutes following on from the first would have been the opportunity to do it, but um, but yeah, there was a couple of things which maybe was a bit um, we contributed a little bit as well, like the the the, the goal they did score. Um, Darling misjudged the long ball and ended up flicking it behind him, and they picked up, and in the end they 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 squeezed one in the back post past Stephen Bender. Um, and that obviously changed the dynamic of the game then from comfortable 2-0 to a, a bit of a wobbly 2-1 for a long time. But, um, yeah, I think Darlin being in the team, which, by the way, maybe maybe my wording was a little bit not not ideal after the game where I, where I said that he needed... It wasn't necessarily a wake-up call. It was more like a little nudge to be a bit more alert, but I, I misworded it, really. But my 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 point was that him being in the team is a perfect example. It's the live contrast, if you like, Steve, from what we were doing to what we are doing and putting him in the team now where the rest of the defence know um, we're not going to mess around with it so much in these positions. We're going to make sure that if we get the ball under pressure, we're going to make sure we find 
the up the ball upfield. We're going to try and get the ball into midfielders and ease the pressure on the back line. And we can see that in the last three or four games, how we've transitioned into this style. So Darling being in there without having necessarily done that, you could see the old style on the pitch there where there were two or three occasions where he got caught Darling on the ball a little bit, um, a little bit slow in releasing and, and, and finding a man and Sunderland robbed it off him. So there were a couple of scary moments there. I think on the whole, it was a, it was a strong performance from him. Um, and he will obviously pick up the, you know, the more time he spends in that team, whatever. Now he'll obviously pick up the speed with how we are doing things now and how we are um, moving the ball a little bit quicker out of the danger areas. So we don't get caught with sucker punches. Um, and if there was any doubt over whether or not that was the right way to go, Steve. The results themselves over the last three or four weeks have have really uh, spoken for themselves, haven't they? Yeah, I think they have. I mean, you'd have to say the Martins changes have, have really worked a treat, haven't they? I mean, we've you could argue there's probably been a couple of games where you know the results could have gone either way. West Brom being probably the, the main one, um, and, and arguably Watford as well. But yeah, you know, you, you do, sometimes you make your own luck, and I think just. By making some of those changes with big calls and being a bit braver rather than, you know, going down the, the same route that we we have been going down, then, you know, it's it's paid off really, isn't it? And um, you know, we're on a bit of a roll at the moment. There's no guarantee that it's it's going to continue anything, but it's it does feel now like we can be a lot more positive about, you know, the rest of the season. Obviously, we're only with three points off top, which is unbelievable. Really, we're in the, the top six, um, and yeah, it's it just feels like it's. It's more enjoyable going to games at the moment than it has been probably since, you know, maybe even the, the Potter era. So it's, it's a long time, isn't it? I was going to say, it's probably about a year to the day, really, since we've last had the sort of enjoyment, um, which would have been the, the, the run of wins and, uh, and good performances under Russell Martin not long after he joined, of course. And we thought we may have peaked too early, which which obviously transpired to be true. But um, back last October was... Uh, was obviously the good the start of the good run, wasn't it? I think looking at um, where we're at now to where we were then is so different. And I think if you were if you came to the Swans at the start of last season and then went to the Sunderland game, you'd swear you watch you you wouldn't believe you're watching the same manager and very much most of the same personnel. Because if you take for example the first game of last season, Steve Blackburn away, Russell Martin's first game or first league game. He's come in and um, we've immediately started playing this this football out from the back, um, which in one sense was uh, very much a relief to see us playing football again. Another sense was watching Joel Latibaudier volley the ball at Stephen Bender at three minutes on the clock was enough to... Well, I think it was in the first minute. First minute. was a heart attack on on in the stands was, was quite the concern for a lot of people at that time thinking... Wow, this is this is going to take a bit of getting used to. Um, but I think everything is starting to show, and I don't want to get overly com- uh, overly optimistic here. As long as Russell Martin genuinely believes in these changes that he's made in the last few weeks, which I really hope he does, and we don't start reverting to type um, to to the old habits or whatever, then then things are looking really positive right now because. That team, and in very much the team over the year that, that that followed that Blackburn game, I think statistically, and I don't have the numbers here to prove this, but I think it's very possible that more opposition chances came directly from us 
than from their own creation. I know that's a wild statement to make, but I genuinely think there was certainly the good chances probably were. Yeah, there's no I mean, like big chances. Yeah, where where opposition would end up with one on ones more often than not, that's because not because they played a quick three pass move in midfield and got in behind our back line. It's more often because our defence has lost it while trying to play a square ball twenty yards across our eighteen yard line. Do you know what I mean? Where where sometimes it's our own undoing and what we're seeing over the last few games and the results are paying dividends as a result of that is we're no longer giving opposition a two-goal head start. You know, we're no longer giving the opposition gimmies uh, where they just have to pick the ball off us and tap it into an empty net and then brilliant. We've just put together a 56-pass move. We've had 85% possession, but we're 1-0 down off the first shot of the game because the opposition of just taking it off our defence and put it in the back of the net. I mean, football is quite a simple game it's, and, and, and you've just got to score more than the opposition. So um, that was frustrating for a long time. And to see us now be a little bit more savvy, a little bit more streetwise is hugely pleasing. And I think um, I think the majority of the support are pleased with how things are going now. Um, and, and, and long may it continue because... Um, as long as uh, we are still getting the results. Um, we have absolutely flown up that table. And as you say, Steve, we're only three points off top now, which I'd have to shake you three weeks ago if you said we'd be in this position right now, especially after the fixtures we've had to play in the meantime, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, after we lost the Middlesbrough, and we were awful, I thought. Um, you know, another, <laughs> another game where we gifted chances. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't looking good at that point at all, was it? I was thinking, well, the manager here is, this could go one way and, you know, he could be, you know, at the job centre if if things don't change quickly. And I, I didn't think they would and and they have. I mean, um, you know, we've got to give credit to him. He's, as I said earlier, he's made big calls and they've come off and, you know, we're in a, a far better position now. But it also does highlight one key thing, that this league is crap because I don't think we should probably be as high as, as we have been, and to think that we could be, you know, top if we hadn't surrendered on a couple of games, it it seems mad, really. But you know, you have to say we've got a, a reasonable chance of a top six finish at the moment because the standard of this division just isn't very good. Yeah, well, and three weeks ago we had a good chance of bottom three finish. So I mean, you just look at it and go, everyone's beating each other, and that's the championship, and that's why I think it's the greatest league in the world because it, it really is. I think and so much focus over the last ten years or so has been on how brilliantly competitive this division is in comparison to other leagues across the world. I think statistically, I don't know if this is still true, but statistically a few years ago, the championship was the fourth most watched division. It's something like that. Yeah. It's like which is incredible, you know, when you consider it, um, I'd consider some of the leagues about, um, for me that you, you mentioned the Middlesbrough defeat, which was hugely frustrating for a number of reasons. Um, I mentioned gamesmanship earlier on and, and being streetwise. Um, Cabango getting himself a second yellow card for a, a fracas in, in the 85th minute when we were trying to get back an equaliser was hugely frustrating because that was silly from Cabango. But what I hated is the fact that our team allowed the uh, 22-man brawl to happen. Now, I, I do genuinely believe, and again, no way of proving this, but had we been streetwise and, and nipped that in the bud straight away, gone over, made sure the Middlesbrough players couldn't surround Cabango and start pushing and shoving and just and culled it, 
the ref would have given Kabango one last warning because he was ultimately trying to wrestle the player, wrestle the ball back off the Middlesbrough player who was showboating. The ref would have said, right, both of you cut it out, get on with the game. But because Middlesbrough knew what they were doing, and that was Chris Wilder being streetwise and 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 and, and you know getting the players to surround the ref, make a bigger deal. Every time when there's a big 22-man brawl, the two people involved in it to start off with always end up with bookings. Cabango getting his second as a result. Job done, Middlesbrough. They were able to see out the result. That followed then four days later with a Stoke game with a last-minute equaliser for Stoke after, again, defensively just switching off. And that, with me, was my moment. You say Borough, I say, and the fact that following on from Stoke then, he decided to switch the goalkeepers for the QPR game and then as the results started turning, was I think for me, that week, the Middlesbrough-Stoke week, was huge in our season because there were so many disappointing elements to those two games, Steve, because Stoke, we gifted them a few at the back. Again, that that was a silly game. That could have been any scoreline. Um, that week could turn out to be one of the best weeks in our season, which is bonkers, really. But everything in those two games, we've managed to, so far, look to address our shortcomings. Yeah, you do sometimes get these these games where, I don't know, how can you put it? It sort of makes you A blessing think, in disguise. I've, I've got to do something here because if I don't, I'm in trouble. I know a great example would be when Wales lost 6-1 in Serbia. Chris Coleman, had, I think it was about his fifth or sixth game. He hadn't won yet. Obviously, the circumstances of him taking the job were bad and he didn't want to make changes. But I think it sort of just hit him in the face a little bit as if to say, right, if I don't make big changes here, I'm getting sacked. So yeah. I'm going to have to change it. And obviously, I'm not saying that the Swans are going to go on to this incredible, uh, you know, and be successful in the way that Wales were then in, in Euro 2016. But it's, it's sometimes you get these like turning points and it just sort of hits you, I guess. And you think, Right, I'm going to have to do something because you know things are, are not going well, and if I carry on the way I'm going, then it's it's going to end in you know part in company. So maybe that's that's what happened. He may have looked at it and thought I'm going to have to you know maybe go against what I've been doing slightly and just make a few tweaks and you know um, and it's it's really paid off for him, isn't it? So you know that's the that's that's the main thing, isn't it? We're all in a I think everyone will feel a lot more positive now when I. There won't be many people that will <clears throat> disagree with the certainly the the selection uh, the changes that he's he's made since. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think this team now is quite, you know, you can swap in and out one or two players for resting and rotation and whatnot. But this team looks now like we've got um, a sort of setup. Oh, I should say before we go on, by the way, what a change in um, in, in in Jay Fulton the last few games as well. He's seems to be absolutely thriving in this new look way of playing. Um, and, and this it's a lot more, um, you know, get let's strip it down and get back to basics. And this is the sort of football that Jay Fulton really thrives in. And he's looking a lot better player. And, and I know you mentioned earlier on um, Joe Allen coming back. I think he may at this point have a harder job getting into that starting 11 than he would have three weeks ago for sure. Yeah, he probably will because, as you say, Jay has done has done really well. But I mean, we've we've got so many games, haven't we? That yeah, you know, um, I'm sure he will come come back in. I mean, interestingly, we obviously it's been very quiet with Joe Allen. They said the injury isn't serious, but at the same time, he hasn't come back yet, has he? So it's been what three weeks, is it now, something like that? So you know, it would be nice to to find out what's going on. But um, 
we could probably have that conversation <laughs> with Atto as well at some point. Yeah, um, I think the, <laughs> the missing the, man. The, yeah, I mean, the, but the the good thing from our point of view is, like, I'll go back again to that Middlesbrough game. I remember looking at the bench and just thinking to myself, "Who's on there? Who, who can we bring on here to change it?" And then really feeling like there wasn't much. And but all of a sudden, the bench seems to look really good now. And as you say, there's no Joe Allen and there's no Jamie Patterson, so there's still those two to come back as well. So. You know, we should be feeling quite encouraged at the moment. There's there's options and so many games coming, as I've already alluded to, that we are going to need to try and use the squad at, at certain points over the next few weeks. And But it does feel now like at last there's a bit of a squad there and, you know, we can utilise it and the quality isn't massively going to go down. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even seeing um, Harry Darling come in and put in a good performance for Cal Norton, um, I don't think there's a team in this division, if if he was to persist with the starting lineup for now, that wouldn't want a Kyle Norton on their bench. You know, a seasoned professional who can play any one of three or four positions and um, play it with, you know, I, I'm absolutely with you in that he needed to step out of the firing line for a while. Um, and it was the right decision by Russell Martin. But you know what you're getting with Kyle Norton when he's, when he's fit and his head's in the right place, Cal Norton's going to always be a 7.58 out of 10 player for you. So, again, another fantastic asset. If Harry Darling is back in favour now, then um, Norton will be fantastic to come in, cool head, calm, collected, and and help help us to see out games or, or make the turning point that we need to make. So, as you say, the bench in general now is suddenly looking um, a lot more positive you could have over Fermi as he was again on the weekend on the bench um, come off that and, and and look to try and make things something with, with his raw pace up front in Cham when he's in and out of the team there's, there's there are even take even talking about those injuries injured players coming back but even the players that are on the bench now um, you mentioned Kundal earlier on you know is another player Who's going to be in and around that team? Oko Flex. Hopefully, we get to see a bit more of him. Um, the squad, and we were obviously concerned. There are still some pinch points in the team uh, in terms of depth, um, but in general, that squad is looking healthy. Steve, do you agree? Yeah, I think it is. We've, you know, I think those loan signings in the the last week of the window just just gave us that, you know, that little bit extra. And Kundal has come in in particular now and. And has made a, a big impact. I mean, obviously we we had one or two injuries, didn't we, and stuff like that. So, you know, they, some of those players have come back, and it just looks better. I mean, obviously we probably weren't massively counting on Ollie Cooper, were we, at that point either? And he's been like a new signing really because he's he's sort of coming out of nowhere, and now everybody would be in, you know, in favour of him him starting every week. So, yeah, it's just it seems to have turned a lot and. You know, the, the fact that the manager was able to leave Uncham out of the 18 the other week because he wasn't happy with what happened at Stoke, I mean, says a lot because earlier on in the season, there was absolutely no way that he could even contemplate that because there was just wasn't anybody else. But it's, um, yeah, we've, we've got options now and that's that's always a good thing. I mean, it's, it's a tough job in some ways for the manager, keep everybody happy and to work out his best teams, but hey, they're, they're the type of problems that you want to have. You don't want to be at Middlesbrough and 2 nil down, looking at the bench and thinking, I don't know who can come on you and, and change it, and I don't know what to do. So it's it's turned a lot, and you know it's it can only be a good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, that's a nice way to, um, to 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 sum up the way the last uh, four or five games have gone. It has changed a lot, um, but it was the changes we were talking about, Steve. It was the changes that we think a lot of fans were saying, as you said, after the Stoke Middlesbrough week. If he doesn't make the changes we're calling for, then you worry about his future at this club because you do think that we're destined to make the same mistakes over and over again. So credit to Russell Martin and the coaching staff. I think they've seen it, they've changed it, and they're paying, they're getting the rewards for it. So long may that continue. Um, and now let's look forward to the games we've got coming up. First, a very tricky test. It doesn't get any easier in October, I'm afraid, uh, guys, because uh, we got a trip to um, Turf Moor to face Burnley. Um, Burnley, Steve, obviously one of the big favourites coming down. They appointed Vincent Company as manager. They've got a stellar squad. Uh, started well. They've they actually drawn four out of their last six. So um, they've, they've not perhaps gone to straight to the sort of um, the the summit that you'd expect. They've actually drawn seven out of their thirteen games so far this season. So it's a little bit of a uh, just slower kind of uh, ascendancy, but they are fourth in the league, so they are up there and thereabouts, and you'd expect them to spend most, if not all, of the season in that top six um, and and finish in the in the upper reaches of the league. It's going to be a big ask for us to go there and get a result. But if a Swansea City team had the capability of doing it, this Swansea City team, with the current vein of form we're in, um, is the sort of team that could do it. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a tough game, isn't it? I mean, obviously, Burnley, another team with parachute payments. You look at the team, they've got this, a lot of players there from from the Premier League era. Um, they'll probably be a bit frustrated that they don't have more points, I would say. And obviously, they one of those games that they, they blew was they were beating Cardiff, weren't they, and conceded at the end. So, yeah, you know, um, they, they're clearly a team on the, the right track. I know Vincent Company's obviously gone in there. They're trying to play... You know, and, and more easier on the ice style. I think they're having more possession, more efforts at goal, and you know, this it's maybe not quite they've had the results that they were looking for just yet. I mean, they're on the clearly on the right track, but they'll probably feel like they're a, a few points shy of where they should be. But this look, this is going to be a tough game. I mean, you know, when we come up against these possession teams, I mean, it's a lot harder for us to you know have as much of the ball and to do as much damage. But at the same time, Burnley will come on to us, and I think that probably suits us a bit better because. You know, we've always struggled, haven't we, against these teams that like to sit deep and just frustrate. And yeah, obviously they're not going to do that, are they? So yeah, it's it's a tough one. But at the same time, the way we've been playing, you know, we should feel optimistic that we can, you know, we could go there and and get a result. I mean, from my point of view as well, the pressure's off us. I mean, we they'll be expected to win, and you know, we're you know we've we've been doing well. If we were to lose, everyone will go. That's frustrating, but. We're still on the right track, and I don't think there'll be any panic or anything like that. So, yeah, it's it'll it's a tricky one, but at the same time, it's we're going into it in far better shape than than what we would have expected. So we should be, you know, quietly confident of that we can go there and impose ourselves on the game. Yeah, it's a no-win situation from Burnley fans' point of view because they're at home. They're they're one of the teams that are expected to be challenging for automatics at the end of the year, and rightly so. Um, but they're coming up against the form team in the division now, which is us, of course, and um, it's the worst possible time to play us, and they know that we'll we'll come uh, chomping at the bit. So um, 
it's worth pointing out they've only actually lost once this season, which is the lowest in the division, uh, which you, you know can expect. Um, so the, it's certainly not a not an easy uh, nut to crack, Steve. But um, like you mentioned, they they've they've left a few points themselves on the on the uh, on the board where they haven't perhaps turned those draws into wins. So you know, if you were a betting man, you'd think perhaps maybe there's there's a point in it for us up there, and, and there's a point we gleefully receive before a ball is kicked but um, you can't address a game looking to get a point of course we'd need to go up there and and try and push for all three and uh, who knows because I'm fairly certain and without checking the Burnley message boards this is the one team they wouldn't want to face uh, at this moment in time yeah I mean that's the way we've got to look at it I mean when we when, <clears throat> it's never great facing a team that's won four in a row is that you always think would be Go in there full of of confidence, and and we should be really, shouldn't we? So and 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 the fact that we've done it. Sorry to interrupt there. The fact that we've done it with two massive away wins in there as well against big teams, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not been, you know, a run of fixtures where you'd necessarily have expected that. I think we all definitely would have taken two points from those two away games without a doubt, for example. So yeah, it's look, it's it's an opportunity, isn't it? That's how we have to look at it. I mean. You know why shouldn't we go there and, and and have a bit of a go with them? I mean, you know, as I said, the pressure is on them. So let, let's see what happens. Let's just let's just go there, be confident, try and you know play our own game and see what we can do. And of course, if we are in a good position later on, let's make sure we we see it out and we see a bit more of the scenes that we've had of the the, the last couple of away games. So yeah, let's. I think it's one to you know to look forward to. It's probably the standout fixture I would say in, in our division this weekend oh yes oh yes I'm hoping that the broadcasters will be licking their lips and will be a featured game but they're not sure if that is uh, often how it works uh, when they pick their games of the week but um, it, it, it certainly look from a neutral point of view like this is one for the for the purists if you like um, two teams that are going to go at it hammer and tongs and uh, have uh, goals in them as well so I think it'd be interesting to see um, talking of goals, Steve, um, and shoot me for saying this because I never thought these words would would come out of my mouth. But would there be a time? I'm not saying this weekend, but would there be a time in the near future where we discuss um, Joel Perot? He's not really um, been in the last two or three games. He's been very quiet. Yeah, I think he has. I mean, I think from my point of view. Especially next week. There's three games in a week, obviously. You know, the Burnley one, and then we've got Reading, which looks a tough game because they're above us in the table. And then obviously we've got uh, the club that we hate more than anyone else. I mean, I, I think it certainly would make sense, maybe in the Reading game, if Oberfemi did start, for example. I mean, there's, there's, as I keep saying, we've got to use that squad and try and keep everybody happy. And a bit of freshness doesn't do any harm and, and comp- competition for places the same. So... I would see no issue with taking Perot out for for a game or something like that, but you know, I mean, against I was surprised Cardiff. he didn't come off in Sunderland, you know, because I thought that was the obvious sub Perot for Obafemi, um, but he didn't come off for him, did he? Oh, he did actually come off, didn't he? He did. Come yeah, off but it was end. very late, wasn't it? Yeah, he did. He, but he came off for a different sub, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I I sort of felt the same way, really. I mean, because I didn't think he was having a great game. He was quiet, as you say. He didn't really offer much of a threat, and it was like, well. A lot of games. I mean, and the, the subs that were made, certainly the early ones. I mean, Kundal and Cooper went off, and Oberfemi and then Cham came on. And you're thinking, well, those two didn't play in the week. 
and obviously they were pl- and Cham and Obafemi played instead. And you're thinking, well, those guys have had less minutes. Yeah, four of them have had less minutes than someone like Peru by a fair margin. You're thinking, well, this wouldn't be a bad time to to sort of take him off. And I think at that point as well, Obafemi's pace up front when we were coming under the cost a bit probably was an attribute that we maybe needed more than Peru's and a quiet day, as you say. But um, look, he'll be back amongst the uh, the goals and on fire soon enough. And uh, you know, if he's saving it for Cardiff, then uh, you know, I think we'll uh, I think we'll forgive him, won't we? What an I, I'm I'm still absolutely in love with Joel Perot. Make no secret of it. I think he's a like sometimes you don't need to hit the back of the net to see someone who absolutely oozes class. Like the way he the way he touches the ball, the way he can move it on either foot. I don't know if he's got a strong foot or a weak foot. I mean it's hard to tell. But um the, the absolute enigma about Joel Perot, which I find really funny his last season, um, his biggest criticism, which is I still find a bizarre criticism, was he was out far outstripping and outperforming his XG. He was essentially scoring three goals for every two chances he had, which was just bonkers. He was just scoring out of nothing. Um and and, and that was a criticism because you'd wonder could he keep that up? But people were wondering if he could keep scoring without having chances. In fact, he's had the opposite problem this season, where he's had loads more chances and managed to not score his xg has gone completely the opposite way it hasn't really even balanced out it's he's missed a lot of good chances this season which i look at perhaps maybe maybe this is being optimistic and positive but i always think with a striker i so much rather them have chances and miss them than not have chances because that is the worry, isn't it? If you're not creating, which I thought was our problem at the start of the season, we weren't creating many chances at all for the first three or four games. And I was really worried about where that was leading us. Um, when I talk about uh, Blackburn at home, Rotherham away, Luton at home, these sorts of games, Steve, we weren't creating, we weren't looking a threat. We were getting hit by the opposition by making silly mistakes and stuff. And that was a real overriding concern of where is this team headed um, but now we're creating lots of chances for him, or uh, you know he's having, you know, two good chances a game maybe. Um, he's just off colour, off form. So if we keep creating from, as I say, and as you said, sorry, um, they're gonna come, aren't they? Because he still loses class on the football pitch when 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 he when he takes a shot like Hull, he could have had a hat trick against Hull alone, couldn't he? Uh, unfortunate with a few of them, and um, I think uh, he had one cleared off the line, didn't he, against Sunderland? Um, there's there's chances that on the plate for him, and whereas last season they were sneaking into the bottom corner off the post, this season he's just not getting the rub of the green. So um, I'd be interested to see if we do take him out of the team for a game, um, which Joe Perot comes back because I'm sure he'll be hungry to ensure that doesn't happen again. So he might well come back with a little bit more fire in his belly, um, which can only be good for both him and the Swans. Um, any other setup changes we'd make? I know we talk about rotation, Steve. Um, for me, Harry Darling keeps his place just to allow Norton to have a little bit more of a break. And uh, I think he did enough against Sunderland to to warrant keeping his place. Um, and just the usual midfield rotation, as and where Russell Martins he's fit, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think Sorinola may well come back in, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, don't see too many other changes. I mean, obviously this week is one of the rare midweeks where we don't have a game so yeah. they well think well we'll go full 11 at Burnley which would make sense and then maybe the Reading game is where you look to make three or four changes for example and then obviously against Cardiff you uh, 
you have to play the the full eleven. So I think I, I could understand this week if we on Saturday if we we did see the you know what what we were classed as our strongest eleven, it would make sense. But we are going to have to think about it with you know the other games, and I think Reading could be a an opportunity to to maybe make uh, three or four changes. So. No one will see. I mean, it, it might depend on you know fitness and stuff like that. And as I say, would bringing Joe Allen back in for one of those games would make sense if he was fit. But obviously, it's mm. been very quiet, so we we don't know. Um, Maybe Reading is that game. If if that if that is the time where you're going to start taking out a few of those players, Steve, which have been playing a lot of minutes lately. Then Joe Allen would be the, the the maybe the sensible one if he's back full fitness training um, yeah. in the next few days to bring him in, bring him in and give someone arrest in the middle of the park. Yeah, and as you say, I mean we've got Uncham as an option and we could come in and Obafemi can come in for yeah. Perot. Um but Norton could come in for doesn't have to come in for Darling. He could come in for Cabango or something like that, couldn't he potentially? Yeah. So, you know, there is there's options there. So, you know, and we, we will need to to utilise them, won't we? But um, you know, it's it's a, it's gonna be another tough week, isn't it, coming up with Oh, I can't believe it. Um, you know, after the after the games we've just had, Steve, to be away to fourth, home to fifth, and then uh home to our arch rivals. Uh what an eight days we've got coming up. Yeah, it does certainly feel like that, doesn't it? But um you know, we go on to talk about Reading, but they're probably the the surprise team in the division, really. I don't think anybody expected them to do much and you know, it may not carry on, but um you know, they certainly had a very good start to the season, didn't they? Yeah, do you know, I'm going to profess to have followed these very closely this season. I, for the very reason which I told, which you just mentioned there, I didn't expect them to be a, f- a feature um, towards the sort before a ball was kicked this season. Of course, a lot of people were talking up. Um, you've got your Sheffield United's, Norwich, Burnley's, and we were mentioned in the mix as well for the top six finish before a ball was kicked, of course. Um, so we were one of the, the 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 ones to watch out for this season. Reading, by all accounts, I read a tweet that I laughed at at the time. People say Reading might finish twenty fifth this year because <laughs> it just thought that they were destined for a poor season, relegation, and and the manager who I'm not a fan of and not doesn't fill me with any sort of confidence. But I mean, look, you know they're up there. They're up there on merit. Seven wins in 13 games is not to be sniffed at. And um, it it looks now like it's going to be a very tricky game. And I am glad that we're playing them at home. And I hope Andy Carroll picks up a hamstring injury before it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I just saw that now with Andy Carroll. I was thinking he's gone there, isn't he? And uh, yeah. Just waits um, until our game's coming around, see? I know, it's it's always the same, isn't it? I mean, you know, if Andy Carroll wants to have a red card the weekend, then that would be... Uh, Glorious, really, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, they, you, you just see that name, and instantly you think, "Oh God, here we go!" But um, have to score at least two because he's inevitably <laughs> ending up on the score. Yeah, he just feels nailed on, doesn't he? But um, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll help. I'll put a ten a bet on Andy Carroll to score. Yeah, oh, that will. Uh, and then he definitely does feel that way, but. Um, I don't know if you've seen more of them this season than I have. I know, like, obviously... Uh, I, I can't comment much on them at all. Obviously, I know Tom Ince is there and yeah, Julia Hoylett. They were the players that seemed to stand out on the... You know, when I had a quick look. Jeff Hendrick is another one. So, we've got a few, like, bigger name players there, haven't they, that have, you know, played in the Premier League and stuff like that. But a lot of the others are, are players that I, I, I really don't know, if I'm, uh, if I'm honest with you. But, um, you know, they... 
but they've, they've have had a, a very successful start to the season. I mean, on on 22 points already. I mean, they you know they're not far off halfway to survival, are they? Even if they were to have you know, the mother of all shockers in the second half of the season. So there are a lot of Reading fans. If there are already Reading fans that uh, that that happen to stumble across this podcast. Uh, they're probably going to take that quite disrespectful that we just. Yeah, they probably. I'm, I'm just thinking more from a like your first target always is to stay up, and for a team yeah. that are not ranked as you know favourites to to do much, they can look at it in that sense. If you want to be negative and go, well, we've really got um, you know, that type of total, and we've you know got a good, you know that that gives you a good like. Yeah, point, when you when you talk about like, your it's, season it's, goals, don't you? You first of all look like if you were a Premier League team. You'd look first of all, right? Let's hit forty, and what whatever month we hit forty, then we can look at reassessing what sort of positional finishes or what sort of point finishes we want. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. They first of all they're looking right. Okay, maybe we're going to survive this year. So can we look to push and and push the teams towards the top end of the division? At the moment, I mean it's bonkers to think a team is up there in fifth with a negative goal difference, but that's what they're doing. That's what they're up there at the moment, and. Um, you know, it's uh, they're managing to get the wins that they need to keep themselves up there. I know they lost on the weekend. Um, surprising, actually. But um, Sheffield United and Norwich both lost as well, which pulls everyone so close together in the top six, seven teams, Steve. Yeah, it does. And I mean, you know, realistically, I, I did think that the teams on parachutes were would probably have a little gap right now. I'm not saying a massive one, but you know, I thought they may be more than a win clear of some of the other teams. But obviously they're they're not at the moment. It does seem a bit more open than what I expected because I think since COVID it it does feel like those teams that have, have come down have got a big advantage just because nobody else seems to have any money. But yeah. I mean the Sheffield United and Norwich are the top two, which is not a great surprise, I don't think, for anybody. But I mean, they're, they're not massively clear now, are they? I mean, they're, Three they were points between Sheffield well, United, who are top, and Blackburn, who are seventh. Yeah, so they're within striking distance for all of us who are just below. So, yeah, it's um, it's, it's certainly become very interesting, isn't it, as it often is in this division. And, um, yeah, well, we'll uh, it'll it'll turn again, won't it, now over the next few weeks, particularly before the World Cup. And we've got, I think, I think we've still got seven or eight games before the World Cup. So, it's, you know, there's a... There's a lot of football to be played, and a lot of things can can change, can't they? And you know, there's plenty of time for Watford to get a new manager as well before the World Cup. So, you know, the, <laughs> a lot will change. Eight games, eight games before the World Cup. Would you believe? Um, we can look at that in a bigger picture, Steve, and look at you know, because just talked about Burnley and Reading, of course. Um, we will do a podcast on this beforehand, but of course, the big one coming up after that, then. Cardiff at home, followed immediately by Bristol City away. This this run of four fixtures is massive. If we can carry on our form or come out of it without being too badly bruised and go into November, um, I, I, I dare say I don't even know what sort of position we'll be in because this month so far has been an absolute grueler and fixture-wise. It continues to be hugely demanding, both uh, both congestion-wise and the teams, not just the position and the quality of the teams, but the the the, the nature of the games that we have to play as well. They're massive games, all of them. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? But um, you know, this is what should excite everybody, and will no doubt excite the fan base. So um, you know, 
uh, bring it on, really. And the main thing is we're going into these one of the games on on good form because can you imagine we would? And then you oh, just goodness. be looking. Well, oh my God, here we go. It could be terrible, but um, you know we should all be feeling cautiously optimistic about them without feeling uh, being too cocky. I remember we were talking. Whoa, it could only have been three weeks ago where we were dreading the Cardiff game coming up. Because we just didn't... Obviously, we had the Stoke and Middlesbrough results and stuff, and we talked about that being a turning point, and we were thinking... You know, obviously, at the, at that time, Steve Morrison was there. He was looking like he was getting something of a tune out of his players, even if they weren't getting the results. They were certainly playing a lot more football than they'd done in previous managers, and the, the players they'd brought in looked like they were um, buying into this new way of playing. Um Obviously, Vincent Tanner's pulled the axe, could <laughs> cut him off now, and uh, they they changed and gone with Mark Hudson uh, for now. But I think with the, um, if you look how recently we were dreading that game, it really does feel like it was months ago now when you've seen these turnaround in results. Yeah, it does. I mean, it just shows you how quick things can can change in football, really, doesn't it? I mean, you can be flavour of the month, and then you can be out of the door or. You know, or people can be questioning you, and then by the same token, it can go the other way. So, and this division is notorious for it. I mean, I think I saw a stat earlier that Michael Beale, the QPR manager, is already the tenth longest-serving manager in in this division. And uh, <laughs> you know, the guy took the job in the summer, so it just shows you. That's obscene. It is. Well, Russell Martin is easily in the top six. Oh yeah. So, you know, um, it's um, Michael Beale is tenth. Yeah, yeah, apparently. So, so many have changed managers since, and obviously yeah. there are a few others, like Burnley he must and have Blackburn, been... who probably appointed like in the summer just after that. I was going to say, he must have been the first of the summer changes. Yeah, that, that's the thing in it. So there's, there's a few in the... There were a few in the summer, but there's... I think with Steve Bruce going now, I think there's nine managers in this division that have gone after... What was oh, yeah. it? About 13 games or something like that? It's... Uh, yeah, it does feel a little bit ridiculous, doesn't it? But um, obviously you can watch for the one of them, so that's just standard, isn't it? Yeah, he's under pressure. He's already uh, lost more games or as many games, um, Slavin Bilic, I think. Yeah. I think Rob Edwards was longer serving than Michael Beale, obviously, but of course, to, to be in yeah. that list, you have to still be in a job, and uh, he is not still in a job. Yeah, well... Three things, you know, in life. Death, taxes, and Watford changing their manager four times a year. Um, there's nothing to be surprised there about, is there? And, and they do it in the pursuit of success. Um, normally, you have to say with Watford, Steve, that comes that pays off for them, doesn't it? You, you hate it because it goes against everything you believe in as a football fan, but they often change it has, it has been get the success for it. It has been reasonably successful in the same way that Chelsea obviously have done it, haven't they, over a long period? Yeah. You know, again, you can't say it hasn't been successful. But... As much as you hate it, it does actually seem to work for them. And I just wonder how they construct their contracts that they can afford to pay off so many managers. Well, again, there's got, there's got to be some sort of clauses in there, isn't it? But I know some of the ones, like Roy Hodgson was a deal till the end of the season, wasn't it? So that's fairly straightforward. Um, you know, But I, I, what I do remember is Javi Gracia, I think, He's one yeah. of the ones that did actually last a while. I think he was there a couple of years, wasn't he? But um, remember then they went on the bad run, and I think a few months earlier he'd signed the four and a half year extension. So obviously there's that that one would have been an expensive one to to pay off. But um, look, I think the truth is if you take the Watford job, you sort of know what you get, don't you? It's it's fairly straightforward. Um, 
think if you're if you're in a job, be pretty mad to, to leave it to to go there, wouldn't you? But if you're not in a job, then you know it's it might not necessarily be a bad one. I mean, Billich might go in there, take them up, and then inevitably get fired, or he. You know, or you'll, you won't do that well and you'll get fired. But the fact is, because of everyone knows what Watford are like, arguably it might not be a massive stain on your reputation either. So, no. Yeah. Well, it's, it's still 30, 33 games for Billich not to see out the end of the season yet. So, well, there's um, enough time for Billich to get fired and for someone else to come in and get fired. <laughs> oh, goodness. I remember when Watford were linked with um, Russell Martin earlier on and people were saying, this is bonkers. When, when obviously... Um, they were linked with him in the summer, and I was just thinking, will he be? It would be career suicide because I'm not going to say it doesn't actually stain the manager's reputation too much now because people understand what Watford's like. But for him to step out of what, at least in the summer, was a very steady position for himself, um, to to step into that uh, cauldron of uncertainty was uh, would have been a bonkers move. But uh, if you're out of work and you fancy a bit of payoff in six weeks' time, it's the go-to job. To get you uh, back into the swing of things, but um, no, it's it's such a open division. Um, there's teams that I really liked watching play in, and there's teams that I'm not really a massive fan of. But everyone seems to be picking up wins off each other, and it's testament to the way the championship plays itself out. And this season, perhaps more so, Steve. I know you mentioned the COVID uh, fallout and how negative uh, negatively impacts those without the parachute payments now. But maybe we're just starting to see the teams come out of that now because you have got in the top six, you have got QPR, you have got Reading, you have got us. And those are perhaps three teams you wouldn't have expected to be at the, you know, at the at the at the reaches of of of, of within top two touching distance, you know? Possibly, but we are still, you know, only about a quarter of the way through. I mean, yeah. The, the fact is you've got to remember Burnley are still in there. They're on parachutes, and then Watford are not that far off it. It's it's still very realistic, I would say, that those four will finish in the top six. And I mean, you know, a new manager could go to West Brom and get them going. They're the other team that are on parachute payments. I mean, they're they're probably not that far behind. And I mean, as I said earlier, they've individually they've got a lot of good players. So yeah, Forest obviously came from a long way back last year. I know that's that is quite rare, but at the same time. I wouldn't entirely write off West Brom just yet for a playoff place. It would take, obviously, a bit of an ask at this stage. But I mean, you, if you can go on a run and you get things firing, you you know, you know, can shoot up the table. So, well, I, I think it is. Other, it's so, it's anyone who could put a run of games together, because everyone else is stumbling over each other, if you put a run of fixtures together, we're testament to that. We put a, fun yeah. of, run a couple of results together and we're up in six. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think... Yeah, it's it's a marathon, not sprint, isn't it? I think yeah. it is a bit surprising some of the the teams that are in there. I'm sure some people are probably a bit surprised that we are, and we're, we're probably included in that to a point, certainly after the first few games. But um, yeah, it's you know I it'll be a surprise if certainly if Burnley, Sheffield United, and um, and Norwich don't finish in the top six, and you know you'd fancy Watford too probably as well. So. Yeah, uh, this is the thing, and it it tends to tell over the course of a season, and you know, with with injuries and and stuff like that. I mean, they'll have the better depth than the rest of us, won't they? So, yeah, I wouldn't. You know, we we can't get too carried away with it, but it does look at this stage like it's probably a bit more open than maybe yeah. what I expected, at least anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, got the uncertainties at the bottom. You you mentioned West Brom. Interestingly, I'm sure I read West Brom were top of the. 
XG from open play table. Yeah, and, and Middlesbrough are, and they're both down the bottom. Yeah, and you look at that and you think, well, Wilder and um, Steve Bruce have both just lost their jobs for what looks like, if you look at the XG from open play, something that's completely out of their control. You know, if they are if they are creating so many chances from open play and the strikers just aren't putting them in the back of the net, then they could have turned all those draws. I mean, West Brom have drawn eight games this season out of 13, which is mental. And they've only got one win to their name. And if they turned, got the strikers putting those chances in the back of the net, they would be in the top six, which is which you know is crazy when you think of even our game with them. They had the, the bright start in the second half. We give them a chance. They have the penalty then to go on and win the game. And then we go the other end and win the game instead. It's these fine things in football you just cannot you know legislate for, can you? Well, that's what I was going to say with with the West Brom and obviously the the fact that you get a penalty, um, you know, you can't go on the pitch and score it. <laughs> yeah, this is, I think the the issue with the penalty would be though. I think that the person who t- I think it was Carl and Grant that took it and he Just hasn't on the pitch recently. So I think arguably you could say that maybe somebody else should have taken it. But I mean, mm. you you know, you you've got a penalty in that situation. You you need to score it, don't you? So you know, and it, it is XG. It's like obviously you can't take it as completely gospel, but there's. It's certainly interesting, isn't it? But what you tend to find is, with XG, is that the table does tend to level itself out over a period of time. It might not be spot on, but if you're basically, a bit like the Swans were under Steve Cooper, if you carry on just nicking games and not really dominating them and you know just taking the chances that you create, then it tends to level out eventually. Now, it, it didn't happen here with Steve Cooper, but it might have done if he'd stayed. And I mean... I think the, if you follow it on Twitter at all, I think Leicester is a good example because they've said that Leicester last year should have finished 15th. Yeah. They finished 8th, I think. And this season, obviously, we've seen a different Leicester and they've struggled. So it does tend to, you know, level out. And, I mean, inevitably, the team that's at the top is always Manchester City. So, you know, it does... Yeah, I think it's... You can certainly use XG, but it's not... That's probably not the be-all, end-all as a as most things aren't really, but, um, you know, it does, I think it, it, it will level itself out. So you've got to think that if West Brom keep doing what they have been doing and Middlesbrough, in theory, they will climb the table. But, uh, you know, the fact is, if you keep creating chances and your strikers are Alvaro Vasquez and Ete Schechter, then you will basically continue to defy XG because you can't hit a band off. Yeah, there was, there was a comment about that when I was talking about West Brom's XG. There was a comment saying, well, the reason for that is They've got strikers up there who cannot head the ball for love no money, yet they continue to put the ball in the box on their heads. So that's why their XG is so high, but their goal tally is is, is considerably lower, is because um, whilst on paper this is a big chance, it's not playing to their strengths. So yes, there is a little bit of blame there on Steve Bruce where you say, well, actually, yes, we are creating lots of chances, but, you know, if, if if you're gonna put the ball in the six yard box for a striker who can't head the ball, then then you're not gonna score the sort of goals if you create with a different player, you know. But um, there's it all as you say. There's a big, bigger story. XG is a good tool to be used in conjunction with everything else. But uh, as you say, it's it's only a tool and and it can't be taken on everything. But um, I think we've done. I think we've done the championship, Steve. I think we've looked through the table. There, there's a lot of exciting teams. A lot of teams that perhaps. I hate the term are in a false position, but we do expect certain teams to pick up and drop off as the season goes on. Um, and we've got a, a hell of a rest of an October to look forward to. So, um, 
what a time to go into it with four wins on the bounce, five in six. Um, I don't, I don't really want to ask you, but can we extend the winning run? Well, we can, but look, it's going to be a big ask, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> like four, four in a row hasn't happened since the start of the 2018, sorry, the 2019-20 season. So yeah, it doesn't happen often. I mean, you and especially in a, such a, a packed schedule. I mean, it's it's going to be a, a big ask, isn't it? We, you know, probably in the Premier League, I doubt we won four in a row at all. I mean, it's it's, it's asking a lot, isn't it? And um, you know, but I think if we can just stay unbeaten, I think that would be, you know, a, a, a good thing, really. I mean, we can we're in a reasonable position now. If we can just keep ticking over within reason, then you know, we will stay towards the upper reaches of the division. But um, you know, the fact is, I mean, everyone loses from time to time, even the the good side. So. We yeah, losing on the weekend. Then is three points. Is three points in the two games coming up, Burnley and Reading. Is that a return you would say was was very um, uh, satisfactory? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we, we can't moan to that. I mean, as it, as I was going to say, I mean, if we we will lose from time to time, I think the you know the important thing is that we obviously we don't lose a game that's on a week Sunday, whereas we'll have a completely different viewpoint if that one ends in defeat. So, you know, I think the other ones where you know the odd defeat does happen, it's it is what it is, but um, yeah, I think I think if we did get a win and a loss in the next two, that wouldn't be deemed disastrous at all, I don't think. And of course, at least the Cardiff game is at home, so they can't set the goalposts to two inches higher than is actually regulation for that one. But uh, we'll talk about that later on the week for the next podcast. Um, that's it from us now. Uh, like I say, we'll uh, we'll come back after the Reading game and uh, look ahead to some absolute belters that are coming up the weekend after and the week after that again. So we'll um, we'll talk about them next time. But uh, thanks for staying with us this long. And um, from myself and Steve, enjoy your week. Swans fans, it's been a bloody good one. Ta-da. Ta-da.